Welcome to Triple Black TV's weekly podcast where we feature the world's most extreme athletes. This week we're featuring Ethan Pringle, who made history on May 17, 2015, by being the second person to climb Jumbo Love, America's most difficult rock climb. Ethan, welcome to our show. Thanks. Yeah, no, this is. Uh, we're honored, man. This is just so super cool. I remember seeing you boulder at the Touchstone Gym in Berkeley about 10 years ago. And I remember thinking, this guy is pretty friggin' amazing. And I'm willing to bet we're going to see some amazing things with him. So when I read that uh, you sent a realization and Jim up, I wasn't in the least bit surprised. <laughs> well, thanks for the vote of confidence. I appreciate that. How many years did you spend on Jim Love? Mm, I... Spent, I mean, from the time I first tried it to the time to the last season when I sent it, it was probably about, I mean, it was about eight years, but there were several years where I didn't try it also. So I probably spent like five or six season, like half season, quarter season type things, periods on Mm -hmm. it where I would go and try it for a week or two. Um, and then this last season was the the most prolonged siege I I had on it for sure, and I think that was really helpful to to finish it off. And um, and I got to the rest after the first crux with like all this energy and um, all this confidence, which is something that like I had never really experienced there before, like getting to that rest with like confidence. Mm-hmm. And I just climbed really efficiently up to the red point crux and stuck the red point crux move, like for the first time from the ground ever. And uh, I was just like, just overtaken with emotion because I had just pretty much been telling myself for eight years that I would never stick that move from the ground. So it was like this big, yeah, like big release kind of. And just like acknowledging that I was, you know, a lot more worthy, worthy, and a lot more capable than the stories that I've been telling myself. So, tell me more about that. That I find this really fascinating. This whole dialogue that you have going on inside your mind. I haven't really found like a surefire good way to combat like doubt and self-criticism and self-depreciation and all that. Um, I mean, I still like deal with that all the time, I guess. I think it's just part of being human in this day and age is we're all really hypercritical of ourselves and kind of whether we realize it or not, we can, we get into, um, get into periods of like, talking down to ourselves and especially when you're trying to do something like harder than you've ever done before where there's these like big kind of mental barriers in the way it can be really hard to like yeah just believe in yourself and feel like you're you're worthy um Mm -hmm. but i think you know we're all just super self-critical and we're all kind of like we all we all go through spells of hating on ourselves and some, I mean, oftentimes it happens every day. And, um, I think it's, you know, important to breathe and 
just, you know, try your best to to keep the belief. And I think, you know, having people around you that really believe in you and really love you and everything, that helps a lot too. And so it's just like, it's, it's a lot of it is about self-compassion. I think mm-hmm. if you can have self-compassion, it's, um, it just opens up a whole new world of possibility. Um, what does that mean hard. to you, self-compassion? Just loving yourself, I guess, like, and not hating on yourself, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is probably like my my default setting is is being really self critical and not believing in myself and talking talking shit to myself. Um, but I think if you know, at a certain point, you can only take so much of that, and you have to like acknowledge your your humanity, I guess. And it takes a lot of work to do that. I mean, sometimes you have to be alone in a safe place, um, far away from other people, or sometimes you have to have like loved ones around you who can, you know, tell you how good you are and just remind you that you're a worthy human being just like everyone else. Um, and sometimes you can, you know, trick yourself into having self-compassion by imagining a parent or a loved one having it for you. And just, yeah, but I use those kind of tricks sometimes. Um, but it's hard. It's, it takes. Yeah. Are you monitoring your thoughts? Like, are, are you like filtering the words that you use inside <laughs> yourself? Yeah. You know, because um, I know for myself, I'm, I'm constantly aware of how I even speak, you know, like making sure that I don't say, right. Uh, yeah, I'll try that instead of saying, no, I'm going to do that. Right, right, right. Um, I guess I definitely more aware of the way that I talk to myself and the stories that I tell myself about, you know, myself and the way that I compare to whatever, whoever, anything like that. Um, I don't know if it's, made me more adept at like avoiding that kind of like those, that kind of negativity. Um, I don't know. I'm like, there's, there's really two schools of thought on that kind of like psychotherapy. There's like the, the more like Zen, um, camp where it's like, you know, it's all okay. Like whatever you think or feel is okay. You know, just, like pay attention to it and acknowledge it. And then there's like the, the more like, um, what's it called? Cognitive behavioral therapy where you sort of retrain yourself to not, you know, even go there in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess I, (laughs) maybe it's just because I don't want to put in the work to retrain myself to not, think negative thoughts or whatever, or just that I really feel like no matter how hard I try, I'm always going to think negative thoughts about myself. So I just, it's better to just like acknowledge that and pay attention to it and kind of like, yeah, just have compassion for myself anyway and realize that, you know, thinking negatively about myself is sort of part of the human condition and isn't that cool in its own way is that, you know, we're, you know, 
we're capable of this complex thought and these complex emotions. And, um, it's definitely, it can be a negative thing at, at times, but, um, can also be something positive if you let it. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's complicated and I'm, I'm definitely not, I feel like knowing or being more aware of all that hasn't really brought me any closer to dealing with it in a, more refined way, but, um, I think it's a good thing to be aware of nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard when someone once told me, once you become aware of a situation, like aware of these negative thoughts, you've become aware. So it's, that's the first yeah. step. I think there's a lot of different like tools too, you know, it's like, um, to sort of make you more mindful of, of what, feeling and um like writing and yoga and climbing too it's definitely one Mm -hmm. one thing that can help you through that sort of those sort of situations um and it's just a practice like any other you know if, if you feel like you're the type of person that you know is super self critical and you know, deals with doubt and, and insecurity a lot. And I think everyone is on a certain level. Like I think some people are more prone to realizing it than other people, but you know, every, everyone deals with it even a little bit. Um, but no doubt. if you are that type of person, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different avenues to explore. The, you mentioned something about the, your breathing techniques. Um, and I read that you practice the bumblebee breathing technique. Could you tell us about that? What What is oh, the bumblebee? Yeah. Um, bumblebee breath is like a yoga thing. Georgie taught me that um, like last spring when we were here in Vegas when I was trying Jumbo Love. And we were, I was like, I, I got into this mode of t- trying to take really good care of myself. And so I was quit coffee and um, was paying much more attention to my diet and uh, doing a bunch of yoga in Mike Doyle's backyard. And one of the things that we would do out there was this bumblebee breath. And um, it's basically just like you exhale all the air out of your lungs. You take a really deep inhale, like all the air you can, and then you kind of hum through your nose, I guess as you exhale and you it's it's more like you're not trying to exhale you're just trying to like hit a certain pitch um mm-hmm. with your like sinuses almost when when you're like exhaling the air out of your out of your lungs and it's like it's just really calming and centering and it kind of it's it's like this this loud hum and you're just it's like it's very i don't know yeah, very centering, and it just sort of quiets the voices in your head. And when I was doing it a lot, I I was, like, noticing that I could exhale for, like, 30 or even 45 seconds sometimes. Um, it was almost like circular breathing, but I don't think I was really doing circular breathing. But it was just, yeah, it was a really nice thing to practice. Um, but I would, I would try it when I was up at Clark Mountain underneath Jumbo Love, and it wouldn't go nearly as well, I think, because I was so anxious and, and nervous and stuff. I couldn't, you know, 
I couldn't make, I couldn't, um, do the same kind of prolonged exhale that I could just hanging out in, in Doyle's backyard. So what'd you do, like, to warm up for Jumbo Love? How'd you get yourself um, prepared? I had a pretty, like, steady routine. Every time I'd go up there, I would, um, there, there's like this little cave that you can kind of boulder in on the left side of the third tier. So I would like do some moves in the cave just to kind of like warm up my big muscles. And at first I would like traverse the cave with my feet on the ground to kind of try to warm up my fingers. Then I would, I would pull on and do some moves and link some bits of this traverse that you can do in there. And then I would go and do this kind of stiff 13A called Thousand Churches that Randy Levitt put up, um, like in the nineties, I guess. Uh, really good route just like vertical to slightly overhanging and a full like 70 or sorry, 35 meter pitch. And so I would do, I would do that every day. Um, and I got to a point where I had it so dialed that like, I wouldn't really get pumped and I wouldn't really stop to rest. I would just climb the whole thing in like less than five minutes. Um, but it was just enough of a warm up kind of get my fingers ready and everything, get my mind ready to give give efforts on Jumbo of. And usually my second effort was was the best. Pretty consistently my second effort was the best. On Jumbo Love. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, usually my first effort like it's just hard to warm up for like a you know, thirty to fifty move overhanging sport route where like every move is kinda hard. Um, mm-hmm. it's hard to warm, you know, it's like hard not to get on it and not get flash pumped a little bit. So, um, sometimes it would just take like getting on it once and, and having like a sort of less than ideal try to get really warmed up for a second, a good, a better second go. <clears throat> How much time would you give yourself after warming up in the 13 to, for jumping on jumbo? Mm, usually like 45 minutes to an hour, something like that. Not not too long, you know, not long enough to get cold again, but mm-hmm. um, long enough to rest and sort of mentally prepare and everything. <clears throat> and then after the first try, I'd usually give myself another, depending on, you know, whether Georgie was climbing or not or whether Spencer was climbing, just give myself another, you know, hour or so to rest after the first try. Sometimes longer, sometimes it would be closer to an hour and a half. You were involved in uh, establishing Jumbo Love, weren't you? Like putting some of the bolts in and all that. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't put any bolts in. That was all Randy Levitt, wasn't it? Well, Randy, Randy. That, it was funny because that's the first route that Randy bolted at Clark Mountain. Um, and then, you know, a decade or maybe fifteen years later, Chris and started trying it and he was kind of unsure of where it should start and um, a few bolts needed to get moved and then like he you know he tried starting on Dios Mio he tried this direct start and it's eventually he sort of settled on okay the most logical start is just to start on Jumbo Pumping Hate so we'll start it there and he had to add a, a few more bolts so it was kind of a collaborative effort between Randy and Chris, but Randy was the first one who was like, wow, that's the line. So he, I think 
you know, when he wrapped down on the off the top of the third tier. Maybe he was aiming for something else, but I can't remember. We we talked about it when I saw him at the Psychocomp last summer, mm-hmm. and he he told me the story, and it was really interesting to hear because I didn't know that was the, actually the first route that he bolted at the third tier, but um, it's pretty cool. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool little piece of history. I mean, just that, like, out of all the routes he could have bolted up there first, it was like, that, that was, was the one that he chose. Yeah, I read that uh, Chris at one point asked you if it was all right if uh, he continued working on it. Yeah, yeah, well, I think, um, yeah, I think that's, like, public knowledge and everything, but... Um, yeah, were, were you hoping that you'd be the one that got the first event? I think so, yeah. I mean, at, at one point, I definitely considered it and sort of considered the implications of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Sender Films just made this this uh, TV spot um, for Real Rock TV. I'm not sure when it's going to air, but they talk, they talk a, a bit about that. Um, they kind of, yeah, make it seem like we're in like a competition trying it at the same time, like going, go for go and stuff. And that's not quite really how it was, but, um, but yeah, like, how... like, um, well, so he invited me down there when he first started like trying, like putting serious effort into it. And he was making really good links and stuff. And I was miles behind him. Um, but I, I got on it and I did all the moves and I was like, Oh, this, this seems like, remotely possible for me one day so after spending the summer in france and doing realization i i was like really psyched to go back to clark and try Mm -hmm. try the project and so and this was before chris had done it so i went i flew down there and started working on it kind of by myself not by myself but like without chris chris was in spain i think and um And I started getting pretty close. Like, I, I linked from the ground all the way to the red point crux, which was, like, just about where Chris's high point was. So um, so I was doing pretty well. And, and, you know, thinking back on it, I didn't really realize how close I was getting, but I was doing really, really well on it. And Dave, Dave came, Dave Graham came, um, like, a day up there when I was trying it, and he sort of saw that I was doing pretty well on it, and then he you know, saw Chris, like, a little while later and was like, you know, Ethan's, Ethan's looking pretty good on on the project up out of Clark. Like, I don't know, like, you know, how do you feel about that or whatever? And uh, <laughs> and I think Chris, like, you know, Chris really took it seriously. And, um, and so Chris, and at that point I had fractured my heel falling off of, like, the top of the mandala. Um, and so I was totally sidelined i was just you know sitting at home with a broken heel and i get this email from chris like hey man so like i'd really appreciate it you know i I really have invested a lot of time and effort into this clark mountain thing and sort of appreciate it if you'd give me another season to to try to wrap it up uh, or whatever i'm not sure exactly how to phrase it but it was really you know it's really genuine and mm-hmm. um I appreciated him conveying his feelings. So you're you're no longer in a relationship with uh, Georgia. Has has all this climbing affected your ability to have a long relationship? Um, 
I mean, yeah, it's it's hard. Um, I think just traveling all the time, not being in one place isn't exactly conducive to like having a stable relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think if, if I find the right person and it's like, it feels good, then, you know, we'll, we'll see. I'm not really, I'm not really too worried about it right now, but, um, you're but still focus on. yeah, I mean, I think like climbing, it's hard not to let climbing take first order in my life. And, um, it's kind of always been that way. So any change feels, feels, uh, strange and scary, but, um, mm-hmm. but I definitely think about it a lot. I mean, you know, who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. It's part of the human nature. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we all want, you know, companionship and love and validation and all that. So it's, you know. So uh, I got to ask you, um, because there are so many athletes like boxers and professional road bikers um, who refrain from sex before a major event. Have you, <laughs> have you bought into that or do you find it doesn't Yeah, matter? for sure. Um, no, no. I think it makes, I think it makes a, a very noticeable difference for me. Um, but whenever I bring it up to other climbers, like I feel like I'm the only one who, who feels that way that like, um, you know, doing that before, before a big performance is like a, a hindrance. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it definitely is like I've done quite a bit of personal research and, um, I can, I feel like it, it really hinders my performance if I, you know, do whatever <laughs> the, the night before, or even, even sometimes like a whole, a whole 24 hours before I feel like mm-hmm. sort of, what, do you, what like, do you feel? I feel, I feel powered down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't feel, I don't feel as strong. Yeah, I had to ask because, you know, so it's almost like the forbidden question. No one dares to ask these type of questions. <laughs> but, you know, it is in the back of our mind. It's like, geez. Yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely, I'm definitely in the camp of it's, uh, it affects my performance um, in in negative ways. But it's sad. I mean, it, I wish it didn't, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's all in my head, but I feel like it's not. I feel like it. It definitely, like, does. So, um, what about you? So, have you have you experimented with this? Yeah, I have. You know, and it's I wrestle with it all the time because it's like, on one hand, I, I love that human connection, you know, right. especially with the person that you really love, and on the other hand, you know, in the back of your mind, you're just going, I know it's going to zap, you know, because it's yeah, yeah, it's a phys- it's a physical act itself. And you do right, hate yourself. Right, right. So right, on, right, right. I, I have to say that I lean in the camp that you're talking about. Um, I wouldn't refrain if I'm just training and, and working something. Right, but, right, right. But if I'm but if I'm going for a hard stand or if I was gonna yeah. do say a, a building climb, for example, I would definitely refrain because I, I had to yeah. have my mind completely focused. Right. Yeah, no. human con- human connection, or or in my case, just uh, 
one-on-one, one, one person connection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without any other humans. So when you're working on something like Jumbo Love, and it's over a period of time, and every time you get on it, I mean, aren't you going for the, the send each time? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, every pretty much every time I got on it this last season, I was I would try as hard as I could, like, well, not maybe not as hard as I could, but I would try. To, I would you know, ostensibly be giving like a send go, uh, mm-hmm. send burn, like every every time I got on it. Um, but then if I fell, you know, I would get back up, and sometimes I would try to refine beta or <clears throat> link sections or whatever. I didn't I certainly didn't lower to the ground every time. Only after mm-hmm. a certain point did I start lowering to the ground if I fell. <clears throat> but that was only once I started getting really close. I think once I had that that breakthrough attempt where I stuck the red point crux in the ground for the first time, then I started saying like, okay, I fell, I'm gonna lower and save my energy for another try or whatever. So are you refraining from having sex that whole period? Um, I mean, not, not like the whole entire time. If I knew I was going to have a rest day or two, then yeah, it would, I would, I would feel fine about it. Um, I think if you have like a whole 24 hours, it's, it's not, you can sort of, you know, Re reboot your your chi or your testosterone mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. but um yeah, it's it's kind of yeah it's a funny thing to talk about. To talk about. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you know it's something we all talk about, but kind of quietly. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. No, it's not. It's a conversation you wouldn't feel uncomfortable having in private, but um, but no, I I think it's it is it's an interesting an interesting topic for sure mm-hmm. what words of wisdom or inspiration would you like to share with the triple black community oh um don't forget to breathe and don't forget to breathe and try fucking hard all you can do is try so try fucking hard mm-hmm can I say fuck? Is that okay? <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> um, the trouble black community. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That's why we're talking about sex and everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think if uh, if I could relay two pieces of motivation, it would be to keep breathing and to keep trying. Mm-hmm. That's all you can do. Right on, Ethan. I, I really, I can't thank you enough. You have truly been an inspiration to me, and I'm sure all our listeners out there. Just oh, thanks, you, man. Makes, that's yeah. really nice to hear. Yeah, just talking to you makes me want to go check out Jumbo Love and uh, just <laughs> to should. see what it you looks like. Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, at my age and uh, my abilities right now, there's no way in heck I could possibly do it, but just to go look at it, just see it. It's a sight to behold, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ethan, and I really appreciate it and wish you all the best of luck, and uh, please stay in touch thank with you. us. For and sure, man. 
Thanks for having me on. Wow. I don't know about you, but I think Ethan is a super cool dude. We could all learn a lot from this amazing individual and apply his techniques to knock down our own mental barriers, whatever they may be, whether it's sending a route that's been shutting you down or doing a startup business. Here's a couple takeaways for you. Learn to love yourself instead of beating yourself up and filling your mind with self-doubt. We all do it from time to time, especially when we're hitting those mental barriers. But if you can learn to have compassion for yourself and recognize that you're just a human being, that we all face the same challenges, you might just find that those moments of self-doubt will no longer have a hold over you. Two, beware of your thoughts and the words that you use. Words have power, especially when spoken verbally. It's okay to have negative thoughts. We all get them from time to time. I know I do. But if you can learn how to reel them in and replace them with positive words, you'll be amazed by the results. And finally, if you're having a difficult time quieting your mind, try the bumblebee breathing technique that Ethan described. You don't have to make a production out of it. You can pick a place where you can be quiet, like at the base of the cliff with your back against the wall. Just take a deep breath, then release it slowly and make a humming sound. Do this for two or three minutes and you'll be amazed how calm and at peace you will be. Pretty cool stuff, isn't it? Well, until next week, my friends, this is Dan Goodwin with Troblack TV, your entertainment source for extreme sports.